Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Science of the Covenant. I am Boyce Washington, and on the side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. Before we get started, I just want to get a few announcements. Well, number one, today the pastor is going to be wrapping up This World's Kingdom Part 19. And with that, if you haven't been able to view or listen to the other 18, uh, now is the opportunity for you to. So for the month of December, we will be taking a break. No, it's not about keeping a Christmas holiday because we don't do none of that. We only stick to the biblical feast days. We don't celebrate no Christmas, no Easter, no Thanksgiving, none of those things. We only celebrate the feast days. But we will be taking a month off to kind of recoup, regroup, and to come back with bigger and better material going forward when we come back. So we will be returning January the 6th, so mark your calendars. Also, if you haven't subscribed, right now is the perfect time to subscribe to our channel. Not only subscribe, but you want to hit the little bell in the corner so you can be notified of when we are live or when new content is posted. So, yes, we're taking a month off, but if you click that little bell to be notified of all notifications from our channel, you will notify when we come back. Also, if you don't want to do that, please just mark your calendars January the 6th. We will be back at 3 p.m. So we hope during that time, everyone to stay good in health, continue to read and study the scriptures, and continue to know that Yah loves you and he is always with us. And with that, I will turn it over to the pastor. Okay, thank you, Boris. Thank you for the update. And uh, we will be taking a, a breather for about a month. And then we'll, by his grace, return. So we ask for your prayers for us, even as we pray for you, that we may be led in the way that he would have us to go. As he pointed out, this would be our last uh, lecture or discourse on this, even though there's much more to say about it, but I believe we have covered the topic pretty thoroughly. So at this juxtaposition, what we'd like to do is look at the same subject, but we want to look at it from at least three, three points. And the three points will deal with worship. We want to deal with this aspect of worship uh, before the world began. And as we look at it, we can put some things in perspective. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll go to the scriptures. Our loving Father, again, we thank you that we can be able to come together again and to be able to discuss your word and to fellowship. And to most of all, O Heavenly Father, be of like mind to be able to study the scriptures and to know that we are walking in a way that you would have us to thank you that we can be able to call upon you and that you can be able to give us your spirit to be able to have some discernment as to the things that we are studying that we may properly understand them. So again, we ask you to wash us in your blood, cleanse us through the water of your word and purify us through your spirit that we may be your children. Now may the anointing be upon our ears so heaven father here and upon the speaker as he speaks, 
that the power of the Holy Spirit may help us to both understand and hear rightly the things that are uttered. And when we finish today, we ask that we may continue to go throughout the Sabbath to get the blessing that you have in store. And as we anticipate taking a break, that you would bless each one of us, that you would keep us, for we cannot keep ourselves. These blessings we do ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, I want to turn to the uh, book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and in the book of Isaiah, we want to look at chapter 14. And in chapter 14, we want to look at verse number 13. Now, here we are told in the 13th verse of the 14th chapter of Isaiah, it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of Elohim. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Okay, when we deal with this particular passage of scripture, we are basically dealing with worship. Now, what we want to look at is worship in this part of our discourse. There are three things we want to look at in worship. Now, the first thing we want to look at is the worship time, you know, when they when they worship, the worship time. Now, if you notice what it says here in the 13th verse of the 14th chapter of Isaiah, in the latter part of the verse, he said, I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation. Okay. So as we deal with the worship of time, this word, congregations come from the word moed, which is the Hebrew meaning, which has a Hebrew meaning, a meeting place or the meeting itself. So when we talk about a moed, we're talking about a meeting place or the meeting itself. Moreover, one of our words for feast is moed, okay? So when we talk about keeping Elohim's festival days, one of the words for festivals is moed. Now, moed is talking about the time of the festivals. And so we understand that when we worship Elohim, he had particular times that we are to come together to worship, even though privately we may worship outside of these specific times, but there are specific times that Elohim has called us to worship. And we want to deal with this worship time. When Elohim laid out to Moses the feast days to be kept, the word moed is used and it means an appointed meeting, an appointed meeting. No doubt when worship was engaged in, it was a certain time, okay? It was a certain time. Now, what we want to do as we look at that certain time, uh, we know that in the book of Ezekiel says that Lucifer, the covering cherub, was upon the holy mountain of Elohim. And no doubt he was there during a time of worship. Okay, so if he was there during a time of worship, no doubt it was probably one of the festival days that Elohim had set up. So when we put both the statements of Isaiah 
and Ezekiel together concerning the respective things they have to tell us about them about worship. And we want to we want to look at that. Okay. Okay, now here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 13, in the latter part of the verse, it says, And I will sit upon the mount of the congregations. Okay. <clears throat> now he's talking about sitting upon the mount of the congregation. Okay. Now who is saying this? Well, it is actually Lucifer that is saying that he wants to sit upon the mount of the, congreg uh, 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 of the congregation. Okay, now with that in mind, I want you to hold, a, if you want to, you can keep a finger in Isaiah 14, 13. We will return there. But now we want to go to Ezekiel 28, 14. And in Ezekiel 28, 14, we, we, <clears throat> we, we, we want to look at uh, how Ezekiel uh, characterizes uh, uh, this this uh, this this worship. Okay, now in Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen says he says, "Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth," and he goes on to say, "For I have set thee, <clears throat> for I have set thee so." Thou was upon the holy mountain of Elohim. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Okay, now we want you to notice two things. Isaiah talks about the mountain of the congregation. In Ezekiel, in verse uh, 14, he speaks about the the mount mountain of the uh, of of Elohim, okay. He speaks about the mountain, okay. So when we look at the mount in Isaiah fourteen thirteen, he talks about the mount of the congregation, and then in Ezekiel he talked about the mountain. Or the mount, the mountain of, of of Elohim. Okay, so they both are talking about a mount. Okay, okay. So if the word, if we look at the wordage in Ezekiel fourteen thirteen, it talks about the mount of the congregation. Okay, and then when we look in. Ezekiel 28, 14, it talk about the mountain of Elohim. So you got a mount of the congregation and you got a mount of Elohim. Okay. Now, if the word congregation, which we have understood to be the word moed, and the word feast is also a moed, then could not we draw the conclusion that Satan was at one time worshiping Elohim on his true festival days? Okay. All right. Now, so when we look 
at the time in which they worship, that word moed brings in the specific times that they worship. Okay, let's look at the second uh, uh, point that we want to uh, deal with. Now, the first one was the worship of time. The worship time. Now, the second thing we want to deal with is also found in Ezekiel 14, 13. Okay, now the Bible says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Okay. And then Ezekiel says, uh, thou was upon the holy mountain of Elohim. Okay, now in these two passages, what we want to point out is the worship territory. You know, what places did they worship? Now, Isaiah says it was a mount of congregation, and Ezekiel says it was upon the mount of Elohim. Okay. Now, as we pointed out, that word Moed deals with the time, but it also deals with the territory. Just as the word Moed means an appointed time, it also means an appointed place. All of that's within that word. This appointed place is a territory where Yah Elohim was worshipped. Now, according to the scripture, Moses tells us that Elohim instructed him to have the Israelites to construct a sanctuary. Okay, now, uh, we want to go to Exodus chapter 25. And in Exodus chapter 25, we want to look at a couple of verses in that, in that chapter. And the first verse we want to look at is Exodus chapter 25 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 says, And Yah spake unto Moses, saying, and then we want to go down to verse, verse number 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Okay, so Elohim was instructing Moses that all of the people that were there, that he wanted them to make a sanctuary for the purpose of him dwelling among his people. Moreover, this sanctuary they were to make was to be according to the pattern that was shown them, shown him in the mount. Now, in the same 25th chapter of uh, Exodus, we want to look at verse number 9, Exodus number 9, uh, 25, 9. It said, according to all that I have showed thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Okay, so he's telling Moses that I want you to make a sanctuary, but I want you to make it according to my specification. Everything that you have seen in the pattern that I've shown you in the mount, I want you to make it like that. Now we turn over one more chapter in the book of Exodus, and we go to the 26th chapter, and we want to look at verse number 30, Exodus 26, 30. And the Bible says, And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which was showed thee in the mount. So he's reiterating the fact that when you build it, make sure you build it according to the pattern that I've showed, shown, I have shown you when you were in the mount. So when he was in the mount for 40 days and for 40 nights, Elohim revealed to him not only the Ten Commandments, but he revealed to him uh, about the sanctuary. When what we notice about Isaiah's prophecy is that he mentions in verse 13, 
in the sides of the north, okay? All right, so let us turn back to Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 14 and verse 13. Now the Bible says, says here in, in Isaiah chapter 14, he says here in verse 13 of the 14th chapter of Isaiah, he says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Okay, he's talking about something going on in heaven. And they call it the Mount of Congregation. And then he goes on further to say, in the sides of the north. Okay? In the sides of the north. So what significance would the sides of the north have? When we consider the earthly sanctuary, tabernacle, Moses was instructed to make it according to a certain layout. And when one went into the sanctuary on, on earth, it was a replica of the sanctuary in heaven. Consequently, what we observe on earth should have its correspondent in heaven. In other words, the one on earth is an antitype, but the one in heaven is the antitype. So, I mean, the, the one in, yeah, the one in, in heaven is the antitype, but the one on earth was the type. It was a type, and a type is something that corresponds with the antitype, maybe not in every particular, but what he was building on earth from the pattern that he had been shown was to give an idea of the true sanctuary in heaven. If it speaks of the sides of the north in heaven, the sides of the north in heaven should have a corresponding sides in the earth, earthly tabernacle. So let's, let's look at this. Let us turn back to Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26, and we want to look at verse number 35, Exodus 26, 35. Okay, and Exodus 26, 35 says, And thou shalt sit the table without the veil and the, and the lampstand over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. Okay, now, when you went into the sanctuary on earth, on the southern wall, you had the seven-branched uh, menorah. It had seven branches, and on top of each branch, you had a lamp that would be burning. So you had seven lamps of fire. So when you went in there and you looked to your, you looked to your, your you looked to your, uh, look to the left side of the sanctuary. There you will see that uh, that uh, menorah, and the only light that they had in the holy place of the sanctuary that was the first compartment, and that would have the light of the seven lamps that burn. So now, if that being said, he says uh, in verse thirty-five that and the lampstand over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. So we see that the menorah with the seven branches and the seven lamps, they were on the side of the south. And it says that, and thou shalt put the table on the north side. Now the table on the north side, what was that? That was the table of showbread. 
So whenever you went into sanctuary and you looked to the north, you would see the table of showbread there. On your left-hand side, as you entered, you see the menorah. And on the right-hand side, when you look, you will see the table of showbread. Okay, so that was uh, 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 on, in the earthly sanctuary. So now let us turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, we want to look at uh, verse number 5. Okay, get a picture of what we're talking about. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, and it says, And out of the throne proceeding lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of Elohim. Okay, now, when we look at that, it says that out of the throne, now where was the throne located? Okay, now from the imagery that we get in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, he said he had a throne and proceeding out of the throne was lightnings and, and thunderings and voices. So no, in other words, as Elohim sat on his throne, he spoke, his words were like thunder and as like lightning uh, as his voice spoke. Electricity was in his voice, and yet the volume of it was like thunder. And so with the light in his voice and also the loudness of his voice, uh, it was coming forth from out of the throne from which he was sitting. And then the Bible goes on further to say in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 4, it said, and there were seven lamps of of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of Elohim. So he likens the seven lamps on top of the menorah as the seven spirits, okay? But the thing that we're looking at is, is the fact that if he who is sitting on the throne, which is Elohim, and he sees the seven lamps then his throne had, at this time in the book of Revelation, his throne had to be on the table of showbread because Moses has just said that the table was on the north, and if you're on the north and you're looking to the south, what are you going to see? You're going to see the seven-branch menorah. That's what you'll see. And so here, John is saying that the voice that spoke like thunder and lightning were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. So if it was burning before the throne, then the throne had to be on the table of showbread to properly get that in order. And so when we look at the sides of the north, the sides of the north was where the throne was located, and the sides of the north is where the table of showbread was located. So when we talk about the sides of the north, we are talking about the place in which Elohim's throne was, in which they would look forward to worshiping. So when we look and say about the mount being in the sides of the north, according to Isaiah, we are looking at that they were worshiping, and it was no doubt in the same place that the table of showbread was on the northern wall, on the earthly tabernacle, but in the heavenly, uh, the northern side was on the mountain of Elohim 
or the mount of the congregation. All right. Now, so we looked at the time and the territory. Now, the third thing we want to consider is <clears throat> position, which would be under the heading of the worship title. So we have the worship time, the worship territory. Now we're dealing with the worship title. Okay, now we turn again back to Ezekiel, and we want to look at Ezekiel 28 again. And in Ezekiel 28, we want to go back to the 14th verse. Ezekiel 28, 14 says, <clears throat> as we deal with this title. <clears throat> now, it says here in verse, uh, in verse 14, it says, thou art the anointed cherub that cover it. Okay. It says, thou art the anointed cherub that cover it. All right. Now, what we want to deal with is the first part of this verse when it talks about Lucifer, uh, the anointed cherub, or Satan, who is also the anointed cherub. And we want to look at the worship title. Okay. So, what title does he have? The Bible says he was an anointed cherub. That was his title, an anointed cherub. So here we notice in this verse that Ezekiel points out what Satan was called. He says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. As a covering cherub, there are some inferences we can draw from this. First of all, when Ezekiel makes known to us that Satan was a covering cherub, he is pointing out to us his title. By understanding his title, we can also understand his function. In scripture, we find that something or somebody was named that which was also the function. So when a person was named something, that meant that that would also be the person function. So when we look at the name, it was also the function that the person was to perform. So just like you look at the name Yeshua, what does it mean? It means salvation. So the name tells you what the function is. So when you look at many of the names of individuals in the Bible, just like the name Daniel, it means Elohim is judge. So when you look at the function, it has something to do with Elohim judging. So that's what the name Daniel means. So here a covering cherub has the same significance. And so a, a cherub, that covers was an angel with two wings and his function was to cover. So what would he cover? When we read in the book of Exodus, Moses describes to us the basic functions of an anointed cherub that covers. See, a, 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 a cherub, they were calling covering cherubs because they had to cover something. So let's let's see let's see what the covering was about. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 25 in verse in verse 10. Exodus 25:10. 
Okay, what 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 was what was he covering? Okay. Now here in the tenth verse of Exodus twenty five ten, in the construction of the sanctuary, Moses gives us some idea. So here in the tenth verse of the twenty fifth chapter of Exodus it says, and they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit the height thereof. Okay, so this was to be the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Now, here we are told that Moses, who was instructed by Yah to make an Ark, the Ark that he was to make was given both the materials in which he was to make it out of and the measurements of which it would consist along with how it was to be made. The ark was a golden chest or box that was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Now the golden ark was to have a mercy seat, okay? It was to have a mercy seat of pure gold upon the ark. Okay, now we want to point out something about the mercy seat. Okay, now we in Exodus chapter 25, we read verse 10. Now let's read verse 11. It said, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without shalt thou overlay it and shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. Okay, so they were to make it and it was have the crown of gold all the way on all four sides. And then in, the, in addition to that, in verse 17 of the same chapter, it says, And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be <clears throat> the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Okay, so this was to be a, 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 the mercy seat that was to go over the top of the golden ark. Now, what the Bible calls the mercy seat has a different understanding of what the Hebrew word was taken from. See, the Hebrew word, what we take mercy seat come from, is, is the word kippurith, kippurith. K-A-P-P-O-R-E-T-H, Kepareth. Now, you remember on the Day of Atonement, they had what they call the young, Kip, young Kipper. And that had to do with covering, too, because on the Day of Atonement, your sins had to be covered. So when you talk about the mercy seat, it was taken from a word that means Kipareth, and it means a lid or a place of covering. What did they cover? Well, if you looked into the ark, they had, at this time, they had about three things that was in the ark. They had the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and also a pot of manna. That was in there, but it was covered by what we call the mercy seat, but the Bible called it a lid, not a mercy seat. I understand mercy seat was added later on because all the Bible talks about was a lid, and he placed a cover in that. Uh, uh, that cover over it, and it it was this lid 
which was to go over the top of the ark, that the two cherubim were to be made to go on both ends of the lid. Now, let us let us stay right here in, in the book of Exodus for a few minutes. In Exodus chapter 25, and we look at verses 18 and 19. Notice what it says. In verse 18 of the 26, 25th chapter of Exodus, it says, And thou shalt make two cherubim of gold, of beechen work shalt thou make them, in the two ends of the lid, or the mercy seat. And he made one cherub on one end, and the other on the other end, even of the mercy seat, shall ye make the cherubims on the ends thereof. So in other words, when they made this lid, they got an angel or a cherubim on each end. Moreover, between these cherubims was a light representing the presence of Yah Elohim. This glorious light was called the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory was where Elohim spoke to Moses from between the cherubim. So when we read in Exodus chapter 25, in verses 21 and 22, it says this, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So what was these angels to cover? They were actually uh, they were actually protecting us from the glory of Elohim because when they stood in the presence, their wings uh kind of covered the 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 glory of of Elohim and as it covered the glory of Elohim it it protected them from his glorious presence because if we come into his presence his glory is so great for the humans that it'd be difficult for them to stand in his presence and so when we look at uh Elohim between the two cherubims on the earth, it was a Shekinah of glory that was actually not Elohim himself. They made two golden uh, angels, but between them, there was a light they called a Shekinah of glory that represented the heavenly sanctuary. So what Moses constructed was a type of the sanctuary in heaven. He was only shown a pattern, not the literal one in heaven. Now, in Exodus 25, in verses uh, 8 and 40, which we've already gone over, it said he had to make a pattern. He made a pattern of the, uh, of the heavenly sanctuary, which he showed to Moses, and Moses made it according to that pattern. But the pattern was greater, but the actual sanctuary was greater than the pattern and far greater than the one that he built on the, on the earth. Even Solomon, with his great temple, was not as magnificent as the one in heaven. So the primary purpose in making the sanctuary tabernacle was so that Elohim himself could dwell among his people. So here we have a sanctuary tabernacle on earth whereby Elohim can dwell with his people.
That was his purpose. Consequently, it would be understood that if he was dwelling among his people, naturally, this dwelling would include worship with his people worshiping him. While Moses' sanctuary tabernacle was upon this earth was merely a replica of one of the one in heaven. Now the golden cherubim on the lid of the earthly ark of the covenant found its antitypical fulfillment in the heavenly sanctuary where our heavenly father and his son are worshiped. And instead of golden cherubims, which stood in the light of the Shekinah glory, we find in heaven there are four living creatures uh, that, the, uh, that, the, uh, that the scriptures speak about. And these four living creatures are on the four corners uh, of the Ark of the Covenant or the table of showbread. And as they stand there, they are the ones that surround his glory. And so they stand in the light of Yah's glorious presence. And that light that shines down on the four living creatures, that is the anointing. And then when it calls uh, Lucifer the anointature, uh, he is anointed by the light. So one of the cherubims who stood in his presence was Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covers. So when we look at uh, let us turn back to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 says, "Thou, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground that did weaken the nation? Okay. So he was in heaven and, and saying, How is he fallen? It says, uh, it, it, it says, For thou has said in verse 13 in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of Elohim and will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Okay. So his title suggests that he was one time in the presence of Elohim. He was one of the cherubs that stood around Elohim. And so when we look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, 14, then it is a lot in correspondence with, uh, with Isaiah. So in ver verse 14, it says of Ezekiel 28, thou art the anointed cherub. So he was what Moses would say. He was on the mercy seat or the lid where Elohim's throne was. So at one time, he was in the very presence of Elohim. Now, if Satan, who was once a true worshiper of his creator, this would mean that at one time, he, like the rest of the angelical hosts, bowed down to his creator, as well as direct the angels in song in the angelical choir. Just as the earthly sanctuary was a type of the heavenly uh, sanctuary, I would think that the earth has, that the earthly sanctuary would have a service just like 
the heavenly sanctuary would have a service. So when we look at the heavenly sanctuary system, it should be somewhat just like the earthly and the earthly should be like the heavenly because uh, I would think that the earthly sanctuary services would also be a type of the heavenly sanctuary service. So if we had a sanctuary here uh, on earth that was trying to duplicate the sanctuary in heaven, I would think that the services that they had on earth in the earthly sanctuary would be similar to the services that they would have in the heavenly sanctuary. And if that is so, then what was the worship system of heaven composed of? In order to examine Elohim's worship system, we want to pay particular concern to the word congregation, okay? We don't look particularly at that word congregation. Let us now shift our attention to this word. When Moses constructed the earthly sanctuary tabernacle, it was called the tabernacle of congregation. That's what they called it. There's a plethora of verses that when they talk about this, the sanctuary tabernacle, they were talking about the tabernacle of congregation. Now, we read in the book of Numbers of, uh, of the Bible passages that we read in a number of the Bible passages, that is, you can find in a number of the Bible passages that it mentions the tabernacle of the congregation. Moreover, we also read in Isaiah 13, where Isaiah speaks about the mount of the congregation. Now, what we want to do is to see what the tabernacle of the congregation has in common with the mount of the congregation. So here, one passage is talking about the mount of, uh, of the congregation, and the other uh, is, is, is talking about the tabernacle of the congregation. So you got the mount of the congregation, and you got the tabernacle of the congregation. So we want to find out what does the mount of the congregation has to do with the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, the first thing we want to point out is that the earthly tabernacle was spoken of as the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, on earth, when Moses built that, they were talking about the tabernacle of the congregation. That was on earth. And in heaven, it speaks about the mount of the congregation. Now, one speaks of a tabernacle, the other speaks about a mount. What does the former have in common with the latter? Now, the word congregation is what they have in common. So if you had a tabernacle of the congregation and a mount of the congregation, then they come together on that word congregation. So we want to look particularly at that word congregation. Now, what we want to do is to understand this word congregation from the Hebraic standpoint. This word congregation in which we are speaking of comes from the Hebraic word moed, singular, and moedim, plural. As we have pointed out, masculine Hebrew words become plural when the suffix I am is put on them. So when you put the I am on a masculine Hebrew word, especially a noun, 
it makes it plural. So we got moed and moedim. Now, the essence of which we are dealing with is the meaning of this word moed. We want to look at the meaning of this word. In the Hebrew, the word moed has a plethora of meanings. Sometimes one has to determine how the word is used by the context it has. Let us consider some of the meanings of this word. We will put this part of our study under, under the moed meanings. So let's look at the moed meanings, okay? Now, the moed has many meanings. So when we look at the meanings, we're gonna find a whole lot of meanings for this word. Now, one of the meanings means that when you say the moed, you're talking about an appointed feast. Because I pointed out earlier that the feasts are also called moeds. Another definition is an appointed season. It means an appointed sign. It means an appointed time. It means an assembly. It means a congregation. It means a due season, a feast, a place of assembly, a season a set feast, a set time. All of these means moed. A moed means a solemn assembly. It means a solemn day, a solemn feast. It means solemnity. It means a synagogue, a time, a time appointed. It means an appointed. It means appointed. It means solemn. So when we consider this word moed, it has a multiple meanings. However, in its many meanings, we can extract at least four factors concerning worship. And let us look at these basic four factors. The first factor is the, the time of worship. Okay. Elohim has given uh, his children his calendar of worship. And where is that found? Let us go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23 and in Leviticus chapter 23, what, what, in starting with verse verse 1, and, and the Bible says, And Yah spake these spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast. Now this word feast is moed. That's what it is. Of Yah, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocation, even these are my feasts. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you talk about Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, uh, trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These, these, these are the times on his calendar that he met for worship. That was the first factor. The first factor was time. The second factor is the place of worship. Elohim gave his tabernacle, as we pointed out, in our initial part of our study, that the tabernacle was made for him to dwell in, and that was the place they were to go to worship him. So Elohim gave us his tabernacle and temple, and even Yeshua, when he was on earth, he said uh, to the Samaritan woman that you don't need a, neither need to worship in this mountain or that mountain, but when we worship God or Elohim, wherever we are, if we worship him in spirit and truth, that's that's correct worship, the place, the territory. Now, the third factor is who is to be worshipped, okay? 
Now, moed means an assembly. So when you had assembly of worship, Elohim gave his Ten Commandments, and the first four were concerning who should be worshipped. So when we turn to Exodus, let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. So in Exodus chapter 20, uh, when it starts off, it says, and Elohim spake all these words, saying, I am Yah, thy Elohim, which brought thee out of Mizraim, out of the house of bondage. And it goes on to talk about the first four commandments. The first four commandments is telling us who, who we should worship. Okay? And so when we deal with that third factor, we are to worship him. Now, the fourth factor is those who worship. The word moed also means the assembly, and the assembly are the people of Elohim. Elohim is to be worshipped, but the fourth factor deals with the worshipers. They are to have an assembly of people who would pay homage to Elohim. So when we look at those four factors, then uh, they point out in, in the word moed all of those factors. Now, with these four factors, let us pause and think about them. Did these four factors come into being when Adam and Eve were created, or did they predate them? Certainly, these factors of worship predates the Adamic age for the mere fact that in heaven worship was going on long before this world was created. And if that was so, I would think that these same four factors would be passed down to Adam and Eve once they were created. Yeshua, in teaching his disciples, he said something in the prayer that he was teaching his disciples. Now, let, let us notice what he said to the disciples uh, when he was talking to them and trying to give them a, a model prayer. And what we call the Lord's Prayer, what I call it the Disciples' Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer is in the book of John. In other words, he was teaching them to pray. It was not his prayer. He was teaching them to pray. And that was one statement that he made. I want to look at that. Now, here we read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Notice what it says. It says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Okay, now. What are we saying? Aren't we saying that Elohim is saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So I would think if we are to do his will on earth as it is in heaven, the way they worship in heaven is the way that he would want us to worship down here. In other words, earth should be an extension of heaven. If the angels worship him in heaven, he said, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If they worship in heaven, he would want us to worship down here. The way that they worship up there. Now, if his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, wouldn't this mean that the mo the moed would apply to us as it did to the angelic host in heaven? Therefore, when Ezekiel says and Ezekiel, uh, let's turn to Ezekiel 28, 18. Now, when Ezekiel says uh, this in, in, in the 18th verse, Ezekiel 28, 18 says, 
Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. So the Bible is pointing out that he defiled the sanctuary. He was the covering cherub. He defiled the sanctuaries. Now, I would think that these sanctuaries that he was defiling was here on earth. Now, let us read further in 18th verse. It said, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities and by the iniquity of thy traffic. Okay. So Satan, the anointed cherub, defiled the sanctuaries by the multitude of his iniquities, by iniquities of thy traffic. Now, we would have to ask ourselves, did Satan defile the sanctuaries or how did Satan defile the sanctuaries? Now, the sanctuaries were places set apart for worship. That's what they were. There was places that were set aside. Now, since we know that they were sanctuaries, they were down here on earth. They were not in heaven. And they these sanctuaries was here before Adam and Eve got here. So when we look at these places of worship that he defiled, when it speaks about traffic, now notice in Ezekiel uh, 28, verse, verses 5 and 18. Now, in verse 5, it says in Ezekiel 28, it's by talking about, this is talking about the king of Tyrus, but it makes a parallel between the king of Tyrus and also uh, Lucifer or the anointed church. It says in verse 5 of the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, by thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, has thou increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Now notice the king of Tyrus, because he had gotten so many riches, his heart was lifted up. But how did he get it? He said, by thy traffic. Okay. So apparently, whatever trafficking he was doing, it must have been corrupt. And when he got all of this, he was lifted up. And then when you get to verse 18, it speaks about similarly the same thing about this king of Tyrus. He said, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities and by the iniquity of thy traffic. So in other words, when he went around to the sanctuaries on earth, he must have been doing something wrong in these sanctuaries. And one of the things was he was lifting himself up rather than lifting up his creator. And out of this self-exaltation resorted into a war in heaven. And when he was cast down to this earth, and when he and his angels was cast down to this earth, no doubt it was destroyed by water. And that was even before Adam and Eve got here, because when we read in Genesis 1-2, it says that the whole earth was covered with water. How did that happen? How did that happen? It had to be before Adam and Eve, because nowhere do we read that other than Adam and Eve. Okay, now let's close out with this. Let us turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Well, look at this. It's something that we, we need to see. Okay, 1 Peter 3, and we want to look at verse 20. Now, the Bible says here, uh, it says in verse 20, talking about Noah's flood, it said, which sometimes was disobedient when once the long-suffering of Elohim waited in the days of Noah 
while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Okay? Now, that was the flood in Noah's day. The world was destroyed by water. Moses records that. He, he records that. That eight souls were saved. Who were those eight souls? That was Noah and his wife and his three sons and they three wives. That's eight people. They were saved. The rest of the world submerged underwater. Okay. Now let us turn to Second Peter. Okay. In Second Peter, we want to go to chapter three and we want to read a few verses there. Second Peter chapter three. And we want to look at verses five through seven. Okay. Five through seven. Now here's what the second Peter says. He said, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of Elohim, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now, when did that happen? The earth standing out of the water and in the water. That had to be before Noah's flood. It says out of the water and into the water because when Elohim started this creation, the whole world was underwater. He is not talking about Noah's day. He already talked about Noah's day in First Peter, but in Second Peter, he's talking about the flood of water that happened before Noah and before Adam and Eve was here. And that's why when he said, let there be in the creation of this world, that was because he had already destroyed it by water because of the false worship that was going on on this earth. And then verse 6 says, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6 says, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The world that was perished. Hmm. That could, that, that's not Noah. The world that then was perished, okay? Because the world that uh, we living in now is not a then world. We are living in that world uh, from Nora. He said that the world then perished. And then verse 7 says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and prediction of ungodly men. Okay. So the old world, and then we have the new world, and then it's going to come a time that in the judgment, the prediction of ungodly people who are, who, who are here, now uh, they'll, they'll be judged. But I believe these scriptures here are not talking about Noah's flood. They are talking about the flood or the diluge even before Noah got here. And Elohim destroyed this place with water because of the corruption and the trafficking in the sanctuaries of lifting up Satan rather than lifting up Elohim. Our Father in heaven, we trust that as we have studied this, that we may continue to go over it and to analyze it and to see it for what it is. We thank you for these studies. Thank you for those who are listening. And most of all, we thank you for giving it to us. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. Um, so, 
if you're saying there was a world here that y'all destroyed previously to mm -hmm. um creating this world with Adam and Eve did he destroy was it the the evil angels that was just here mm -hmm. or could it have been it. the nephilim Oh, that possibly could have been the Nephilim, but the only thing about it is we have a record of the Nephilims in, uh -huh. uh, in, in, in Genesis 6. Because, see, in Genesis 6, it, that's when they, they come in, but they were the destruction before Norris were flood. Uh -huh. This is talking about far before Norris. See, because Nephilims, in order to, to uh, deal with that, you had to have human beings here first because the angels cohabitated with them in order to produce them. Uh -huh. So it had to be, 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 be before that. And there, there, was no, no, there was no people, according to Jeremiah. Uh -huh. There was no people on earth at that time. And so when you deal with Nephilim, it had to be a combination of human and the angelic hosts uh -huh. because you would not have any Nephilims. And that's why he okay. had to put a lot of them to sleep. So it may have been just the evil angels that was here and y'all end up destroying this world. Yeah, because in the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter, it says he cast Satan and his evil angels to this earth. And I think they continued to carry on corruption, so he destroyed it by water. So the Nephtalines uh, couldn't have been around simply according to the fact that there was no humans around. Ah. Okay. Um now, when it when it spoke of the Mount of Elohim, mm -hmm. is the Mount of Elohim could that be also when it speaks of Mount Zion also? Uh, possibly speak? Revelation. Uh, the the uh, I think it's. Let me see. Yeah, let me see here. I think in Revelation chapter. Uh, Let me see. I think it's Revelation 12. I had uh, No, that was 12. I think it's Revelation. Uh, I think it's 14. Uh, okay, yeah, it said, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, which is the 144,000. Uh, now, you said, could that have been Mount the Zion? Mount, Mount Elohim uh, is the same thing as Mount Zion. Uh, that, 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 that could be, I haven't done a research on that to know, but it sounds like it could be. So uh -huh. when you deal in revelation, where you talk about Mount Zion, uh, it, they could be one and the same. I'm, I'm not totally sure, uh -huh. but I know, uh, when you deal on earth yet, uh, you had Mount Zion on earth, uh -huh. which I don't think we can confuse that, but in heaven, he had a Mount. It may correspond to Mount uh, Sinai or Mount Horeb in Mount Zion, but on this one in Revelation, it speaks about Mount Zion. Whether they was the same or not, I'm not totally sure. Okay. Um, and I think you stated in Isaiah 14:13 that mm -hmm. at that time in that verse, Isaiah was mentioning that they were keeping a feast day in heaven. Yeah, well, see, uh, yeah, it's logical to be, uh, see, when you look at uh, 
verse 13, it, it says uh, that he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of Elohim. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. Mm -hmm. Now, word congregation means come from the word Moed. If you search search it out, just look it up in a in Strong's or Young's Concordance. Mm -hmm. That word congregation means Moed. So if it means Moed, mm -hmm. Moed takes in consideration the time you worship, and we know his calendar of worship deals with all the feast days. So mm -hmm. so apparently at one time Satan kept the feast days, mm -hmm. and he said, "I wanted to be like the Most High." Isn't that what he said? Mm -hmm. So how was he going to be like the Most High? Well, he knew that. The Most High had a, a Sabbath day, so he changed he changed his Sabbath day to Sunday. Uh -huh. He put that in in men's minds. So if the Most High had a sanctuary, then he wanted to have a sanctuary, uh -huh. even though it was a false sanctuary. Uh -huh. Since the Most High had a time or a calendar he had, then if he wanted to imitate the Most High in his system of worship, he would also have his feast days like Sunday. Uh -huh. Easter, Christmas, and all of those other holidays. Those, those are his. But he's trying to imitate the Most High because he wants to be like him. So if the Most High have a, a calendar and a sanctuary, he has a calendar and a sanctuary. Okay, so if the Most High uh, has a title, then what is his title? He was a covering cherub. That was his title. But he wanted to draw the worship to himself. And I believe that when he was cast down to the earth, since he was cast out, of the earth, then what else was he going to do? Since he didn't want to worship Elohim, now he has the, the glorious opportunity to have those fallen angels to worship him now. Mm. Mm. Okay. All right. And so uh, with that, we will transition to our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. Today, and let's talk about it. Uh, I want to kind of talk about and ask a pastor in regards to a day being a thousand years in Yahuwah's time. I was reading an article yesterday, and they were talking about the second exodus, and they was trying to kind of put together a timetable. Now, the writer of the article didn't want to specifically put a timetable because he said, you know, in so many words, our timetable is not the same as Yahuwah's. And I wanted to find out a little bit more by talking to the pastor about uh, a day in a thousand years. So if you have your Bible, so if you can turn with me to 2 Peter 3.8. We dealt with 2 Peter 3. I think it was five to seven the pastor did with earlier. Now we're just going to go there and we're going to look at verse eight. Uh, that's second Peter. Chapter. Three, and we're looking at verse eight. And it reads, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with Yahuwah as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So with that pastor, it states that a day, a thousand years is a day um, to Elohim. And 
is one day. And then it also, uh, I think when we talked before, you had brought out that Adam lived short of living one day mm-hmm. and all. Um, so with that, is Yahuwah's time, are we on Yahuwah's time now or are, have we been far removed from it? in this time with everything in the calendars and the time has everything has been, been manipulated. Uh, well, you got a number of questions that you're asking, uh, within, in your question, are we on the same time or have the time been manipulated and stuff like that? Uh-huh. Uh, well, uh, let me, let me put it away. No, time has not been manipulated. Uh-huh. Okay, but time has been distorted in the minds of people because uh-huh. Elohim he still keep accurate time no matter how much we get off uh-huh. of course he still keep accurate time so you can't change time time is a commodity you can't smell it you can't taste it you you can't uh, <laughs> touch it uh-huh. time is something that is conceived of by the mind and so what I'm saying is you can't distort it because you can't handle it only the person who made time He's the only one can deal with it. Uh-huh. If he's if he says uh, time is going to be so much time, that's that's what it's going to be. Uh-huh. Okay, but man can come in and say, well, okay, uh, uh, I want I want to change it. He may change his conception about it, but he won't change time. He he can say, well, we're going to say the first day is the second day. Well, you can you can say that. But Elohim know it, it's not. Uh-huh. But you're going along with, with, with what somebody has said. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, we, we, we'll, we'll try to deal with that a little bit more. Okay. So, is the time the same or is it different? The time is the same, but it's different in the sense of how we experience it. Uh-huh. Because, see, when, a, when, when, when Adam, uh, like it says in here in Genesis chapter 2, and we look at uh, da, 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 da. Uh, uh, okay, chapter two, and we look at verse number uh, seventeen. It says, "But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die." Mm-hmm. Now that day. Uh, here would have to be a thousand years because you know he ate the fruit he and his wife uh-huh. and they did not die immediately but you know they didn't die immediately because they went on to have Cain and Abel and eventually Seth and through their lines the earth was being populated so we know they didn't die the same day but we do know that Adam not Eve but I don't know when she died but the Bible does say that Adam he died 960 years which would be what about 70 years short of uh, of a thousand Methuselah, uh-huh. I think he lived the oldest, so he would have been the closest to almost living a day, which uh-huh. would have been a thousand years. Uh-huh. Now, in that sense, we are going by the same time, but if we just experiencing it different, we just don't experience the longevity of it. Whereas Elohim, who has always been in existence, he can go through all of those thousand years as if there was just a short amount of time to him, but he's experiencing it different because. He's forever living. Uh-huh. We aren't, which is an indication that he really designed us to live forever. Wow. To take a day and make it a thousand years. He wanted us to do that, yeah. but we, we sin. 
Okay, now let us turn to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we want to look at the seventh chapter of Daniel. Okay. Now, in Daniel chapter seven, we want to look at uh, verse uh, 25, I believe it is. Okay, yeah, verse 25. And the Bible says here, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given unto him, they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and a dividing of times. Okay. Uh, okay. We're not going to deal with all of the chronological effect here, but what I'm saying is, in, in, in this, uh, the papacy of the Roman church, they would, they would, they were they were thinking to change times and laws. Uh-huh. Now notice what it says. They said think. Uh-huh. They didn't actually change it. But they thought to change it. And what they did, they began to teach against what Elohim was given in the Torah. Uh-huh. They were giving people alternative days of what Elohim had, had given. But did they change Elohim's day? No. They only took their false days and they substituted them to the people who would believe them. And when the people believed them, then they started adopting those days and putting and didn't want to go along with Elohim's days. But because they did that, this does not mean that the days was actually changed. That means that the people were deceived and believing that they were. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, uh, then when you uh, turn to the 20th chapter of Revelation, let's turn there. Revelation chapter 20. Okay. Now in Revelation chapter 20, here we here here, here we are told uh, in this 20, 20th chapter, it speaks about the millennium. Now notice what it says here in, in Revelation 20, and we're looking at verse number three. It is said, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. See, see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That these, they thought they changed times and laws. They thought they changed it. It says that they, he deceived them into believing that it was changed. Uh-huh. He, he said, but he now can deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were fulfilled. So it seems like when those of us who have been redeemed follow everything that Elohim has given us to follow in his Torah, uh-huh. It seems like he's saying when y'all sin and when Adam sin, none of y'all, <laughs> with the exception of uh, 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 of uh, of uh, uh, Enoch and Elijah, they they never saw death. They they got there a thousand years, but they didn't get it here on earth. Uh-huh. They got it in the new in the new heavens. Okay. So the point I'm trying to point out is that the thousand years is a gift to us to say, now that you have followed me, then for these thousands of years, the first thousand years is the gift. And what is that gift? To live one day. (laughs) That one day was a gift. And then he said, after that one day of gift of what I wanted Adam to do in the garden, the rest of it is going to be eternal life. And the way we measured it is by how Elohim measured it. 
by thousands of years. We measure days by thousands. So in some ways we are on his time. In some ways we are off his time. And so when when it says that they, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, is that like Satan being bound for a day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He bound him a whole day. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he... So, um, we get rewarded for a thousand years. He, he get, he get incarcerated. He did the crime. He had to do the time. Wow. So when it says in revelation 24, um, and they lived and reigned with Mashiach a thousand years, they reigned with Mashiach for pretty much a day in the, in Yah's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Yah's wow. time, right. Wow. It rained for him a thousand years, a whole day. And then after a day is over, we're going to come back, and then that's going to be the destruction of the world. Even though, you know, they talk about uh, he's going to try to take the holy city, and some believe, according to the book of Zechariah, some, that it's going to be a hundred years uh-huh. that when we come back, that he will try to take over the earth by resurrecting all of those who have been dead, because to the, the dead unrighteous mm-hmm. are going to come forth and they're going to be on Satan's ass because he's going to try to deceive them to believe that he was the one to resurrect them from the dead. And they say, well, if he got that power, we join him. Mm-hmm. And so when they join him, uh, they're going to try to take over the city for those hundreds of years. So that means they're going to have time enough to perfect their technology and all of that. They're going to have, you're talking about Star Wars, they're going to have something greater than Star Wars. I mean, it's they're going to have magnificent re- weapons. And, but the Bible says when they get all this stuff together <laughs> to try to take the city, fire going to come down from heaven to destroy all of them. Mm. Wow. You know, it, it just makes me also think that I just wonder, since seven is the uh, number in heaven, will this earth end at 7,000 years? I believe so. It's, yeah, I think it's going to go according to exactly what he said. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so 7,000 years when everything will come to a rest and end mm-hmm. out of right. the whole turmoil. Yeah. Then the world is planted out. This planet is gone. Wow. Maybe it's something about this planet. If it had been destroyed twice, mm-hmm. it's yeah. something about this thing. <laughs> and it's like be. the next time, he's like, I'm burning it up by fire. It's going to be done. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's going to burn it up by fire this time. He don't, he don't be no water. He said water the first and second time, but. Mm-hmm. Third time, he's going to burn up with fire. And Peter talks about that in his book as well. He said this world and the heavens, you know, just not the sun and the moon, but the atmosphere around Earth, he says it's going to be burned up with fervent heat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be so hot and fiery that it's going to look like liquid fire. He's just going to burn everything up. Wow. And so Peter said, when you look and see how he's going to burn this Earth up, mm-hmm. he said, how should your conversation be? And when you talk about conversation, they talk about your behavior and the way you act and the places you go. He said you would straighten up because you you definitely want to, don't want to be in that 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 type of destruction. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, we want to get to uh, a couple of emails that we received in, and the first one read: uh, "Death of a best best friend." The question is not about the message, but I need some guidance on how I should have handled this situation. One of my best friends died yesterday. My sister has sent me a text message and a poem for consolation. 
The poem said this, when tomorrow starts without me, please try to understand that an angel came and called my name and took me by the hand. And the angel said my place was ready in heaven far above and that I'd have to leave behind all those I dearly love. But when I walked through heaven's gate, I felt so much at home for God looked down and smiled at me and told me, welcome home. So when tomorrow starts without me, don't think we are far apart for every time you think of me, I'm right there in your heart. She asked me, wasn't that a beautiful poem? My response to her was that it was nice, but not scriptural. She became very upset with me. I told her we could discuss it later, but she doesn't want to. How should I have responded to her when she asked me what I thought of the poem? Okay. Uh, let me say death is very sensitive. It's a sensitive issue. Okay. You know, I went to a church of one of my friends. He was a ministering friend, and uh, I think his wife's uh, mother had passed. So we went to a church, and when we got to the church, the preacher preached that uh, the person had gone to heaven. You know, mm -hmm. They, they say in, in a better place. And before he closed the sermon, he says the person was right here in the coffin. Mm. <laughs> so so now, now here's my point. Uh, his people probably been taught that for years. They probably had many more funerals than just that one. Nobody seemed like they were even disturbed by what he said. Now, I was because I had a knowledge. And sometimes when you got a knowledge, you're more sensitive to something than when you don't have knowledge. Now, what makes a person that don't have knowledge sensitive is, is that when you go against the errors that they've been taught for years, it's so ingrained in them. Mm -hmm. For years they've been taught, when you die, you go to heaven. Now, isn't it amazing? that you can live any kind of life, you can steal, you can rob, you can uh, be a prostitute and everything and never clean up your life at all. You're doing everything you want to do. You never even recognize Elohim. And when they die, all of a sudden they're in heaven. Now, that's that's questionable. Am I saying a judge? No, I'm not to judge, but I'm, I'm just saying everything ain't going to get to heaven because if everything going to get to heaven, what, what needs you with a hell? You don't need a hell if everybody's going to heaven. Okay, now here's my thing. I don't think that you, I don't think that you did anything wrong. Uh, but I'm gonna answer you this way. It's a sensitive issue, and oftentimes, when a person is in grief, that is not the best time to discuss. But what puts you in the bind was the person asked you, and when you gave your honest truth, they were disturbed. They were disturbed. I mean, they asked you. You you didn't. You probably would have if they had just given the poem. Uh -huh. You probably would have just just maybe said something like, uh, "Oh, it uh, looked like you enjoyed the poem, uh -huh. and that's how that's how you you see it, you know, and, and left it there." Uh -huh. But when a person asked you and you gave your honest opinion, which is the only thing that you could do is be yeah. honest. Yeah. They got upset with you because you didn't believe in what they believed. Because mm -hmm. if a, if 
when I walked out of that church that time, if didn't nobody ask me anything, I didn't tell them that. Okay, I ain't gonna volunteer because I know where they are. So what I'm saying is, in those sensitive moments, sometimes you you you, you uh, for the sake of not putting more grief on what they have, you may just have to say uh, it it was an interesting poem, uh, but uh, I maybe. I wonder if we could discuss it later, which you were trying to do, uh-huh. but they didn't give you the privilege of doing it. So I, I think in a way they had taken advantage of that situation by them having grief and then going to ask you, what did you think about it? Well, no, they, they, they were the one grieving, though. They were the one, uh, the, the persons who response to it's not scriptural is the one who lost a friend. Oh, okay. They lost a friend. And, okay. and the sister was sending a poem and condolences to them and asking, was the poem beautiful? Oh, they were sending to the, the grieving family. Yes. That. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I would, I would answer that, that this way. Uh, uh, I would answer this way then. Uh, no, I was thinking that. The opposite. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mis- misunderstood the question. Okay. If you'd agree in the family and they wrote it, uh, I, I think I tell you the truth. I think you answered correctly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think you answered correctly. You and the grief, not them. Yeah, and you have a right to control that. Yeah, I agree. Nobody can control your grief now. Just like when my my wife died, uh, I was I was getting stuff from people who was telling me that uh, if you listen to this song, it will help you to get rid of your grief. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I had, to, I, you know, as much as I wanted to accept what I know they had good intentions. Yeah. I had to write the person back cause I didn't want no more of that coming back to me. So what I just told them is that, uh, I, I have to, I have to experience my grief. You know, she was a part of me. I have to experience that and a part of experiencing that grief is going to make me better mm-hmm. rather than try to listen to a song or some music to brush it aside. And so the person responded, we were very close friends. The person responded back to me and she said, you know, I understand what you're saying. Didn't get offended at all. Uh We've been close friends for years. And after that, I called her and she got in touch with me on some issues. We had no problem. But you had a right. That that didn't go over with you. But you know. And the other thing that you got to look at is, suppose somebody else died and she continued to send you stuff like that because she don't know your boundaries. And if they don't know your boundaries, they may even send another poem like that. So at least you've given them some boundaries that, you know, it was not appropriate for me. Yeah. And maybe in the future, you would consider that if you're going to send me something, it shouldn't be this way. Go ahead, boy. But, you know, it's just like how you were saying about the song. What may be encouraging for you in a time of grief may not work for me. That's right. You know, I, I think we can't just expect, okay, this helped me in my time of grief that it's going to help you. And it may not. Right. And, uh, you know, to me, the best thing I can say is my condolences are with you in your loss and leave it at that. You know, the best thing to do uh, sometimes if you really don't know what to say uh, in borrowing words from people who traditionally have used these words may not work yeah. for everybody. Some people, yes. Yeah. But not for everybody. 
So I always tell people when I have grief seminars or something, I say the first thing that you say to a person is I'm sorry about your loss. Yeah. Those are the first words you say. Yeah. Leave it alone. Don't don't try to dress it up. Just say I'm sorry when I heard about your loss. Yeah. Leave it there. Because you know, in this day and age, people have so many different type of beliefs and death and everything else. I think it's just simple to leave it at that. Um, you know, like with, with the situation with the poem, if someone was to send me that, I'm like, you know, I appreciate the sentiment, mm-hmm. but that's not what I believe. You know, if if you don't, if you haven't taken our time to understand what I believe in the dealing with death, I might take offense to something like that. Just like she doesn't want to uh, dialogue that wasn't, you know, they didn't feel the poem as much. You know, I could take offense that you even sent that type of poem to me because I don't believe mm-hmm. like that right. in everything. You know, so, I mean, that could go both ways. And I think, you know, to not to at least have a discussion about it, you know, to me, is that's even more insulting. Yeah. Right. You know. In other words, that's, that's, that's almost trying to control your grief. Yeah. To say I can. It's almost like saying I can send you anything and you you supposed yeah. to accept it. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And for the mere for the mere reason that she was not able to accept your your premise of discussing it, mm-hmm. then how can she feel that she sent you something that you didn't like and you telling her something she doesn't like and she don't want to discuss it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you putting a person in a in a no win situation if you can't discuss something that you sent and then when i ask you about that you can't accept what i have yet you want me to accept what you gave yeah no no, it you know it you know it's either or you Mm -hmm. know you you can't have you can you can't have it both ways you're gonna send me something and i have to accept it no yeah it has to be a it it can't just be no one-way street it has to be a two-way street you drove down the street and I'm saying, you saw it in one direction. I'm coming down the street on the other direction. It's a two-way street. And if it's a two-way street, then I got to understand where you were going, and you got to understand where I was going. And then we can put it together, and maybe we can come out with a s- solution. Yeah. And we have a, another um, comment and question. And it reads, greetings to the pastor and all the Mishpachah, the name of our amazing and faithful Most High, Yahuwah. He is so good each and every day in each and every way. All praise belongs to him, and may he be exalted forever and ever. I just wanted to share my gratitude on behalf of all my family of what the science of the covenant has been teaching us. We certainly appreciate you so very much, and all of you do to help us understand the word more deeply. We are extremely grateful for the love your ministry shows to Yah's people, and we are blessed by the truth you bring. You will be in our prayers as you take a month off to rest and to get prepared for the next season of outreach. I do have one question about tithing, though. We would love to support the Sifco ministry financially and help it grow as much as possible. So if any one of us out here wants to give to the Sifco ministry, what are your instructions for that? Do we write our tithe checks to Science of the Covenant Ministries and mail them in? Or is there a certain place where we should send in our tithes? Please let us know. 
Also, is there anything else we can do to help the ministry out? We would love to be active in helping to serve. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer both of those questions now. Uh, during the time that we all we are, we are considering uh, setting up uh, an enterprise where you can send in the tithe, but right now we haven't got all of the uh, what do I, what I might say pegs in place to do that now. Because once we do it, you'll also have an income tax write-off, and I have to get get everything right for you to do that. Okay, now it will come a time, but don't worry about it right now. But uh, we will be talking about that during the month that we are off, trying to really get it going as we should. So when you send in the contributions, it, it would also uh, be registered with the internal revenue and everything. So we will do that. Now, the second part of, of your question of how you can promote it, well, the main thing that you can do right now, the main thing is tell other people about the broadcast. Just tell them about it. You know, and and what we're going to be doing in the future is a lot of things we're working on. This is why we have to take each time of the year, we have to take out a month and, and see where we're going. Okay, so what we're looking at is we're going to start having T-shirts and caps and stuff like that, too. So uh, it takes a lot of planning uh -huh. and I don't have a big staff, but we we feel that we can we can take a step at a time. And as we do that. We, we'll get to the point that all of what you ask can be done. So in the meantime, you can do either two things. Number one, you can save your tithe until we get the program off footing and send it in. Or if you know organizations that is uh, dealing with what we're dealing with, send it to them. And then the next thing you can do, uh, if you didn't want to want, 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 want to want to send send it to them, then let us know uh exactly uh 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 the uh, no, well, no, well let me put it this way if 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 you just don't have an organization you want to send it to and you want to support us i would only say you take that money put it in the bank i don't think the bank gives any interest but you may can get a, a interest bearing account and just put it in there and let it let it draw interest until we can get it, get it solid. And once we get it solid, we'll let you know and we'll open it up and we'll have a way that you can send it in. Yeah. Um, and I know too, um, we're probably going to start trying to discuss because some of you may want to take part in the ministry somehow, some way. And um, we're going to discuss ways that maybe others can get involved with this ministry. But like the pastor said, the best way you can really help our ministry right now is to let them know about the science of the covenant. Uh, you know, continually just tell people, tell more and more people about us and what we're trying to do. You know, our whole thing, when we came, when me and my dad sat down and started talking about doing this podcast, you know, our thing was returning our people to the covenant. And that's still our focus to this day because the covenant is what encompasses us, I believe, to getting into the eternal kingdom. Just like as the pastor spoke earlier about the feast days, these things were instilled way before Adam and Eve was created on this planet. They were doing these things in heaven. So he, Yah, 
is not having us do anything that is foreign. Everything he said for us to do is what he had them to do in the kingdom of heaven. And we saw with the with with how the pastor brought out with in the this world's kingdom how Satan didn't want to abide by that. He wanted to do his own thing, establish his own kingdom. How he changed the Shabbat, how he changed these holy days. And it's interesting how you're dealing with all these people, you know, dealing with the Thanksgivings and then the Christmases and everything, you know. And it even goes to uh, the viewer who was talking about the death and the message. People don't understand truly what we believe. And then when you try to want to sit there and tell them, they don't want to hear it. You know, but they don't know you're getting they're offending you with a lot of these things. But for some reason, they don't want to sit here and understand from your background. You have to mold to them. But we all already know that that's how the evil one will want to have these things. You know, but, you know, hopefully going forward, uh, you know, we asking you just to keep promoting us, letting people know about us and, you know, and keep the most important thing of all, continue to keep our ministry in your prayers as we continue to go forward, that Yah will continue to bless us and continue to spread his message as, you know, we continue to go forward. And with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out for this podcast? Okay. Loving Father, we thank you again that we were able to come on and to be able to fellowship one with another. And now, Father, as we look to you, we ask that your grace may continue to sustain and take us through. May we continue to get the blessing of this Shabbat as we anticipate a new week. And we pray, oh, Heavenly Father, that as we now get ready to take a breather and to rest a while and to also program and to get things in order, that we may continue our ministry, that the power of your Holy Spirit may continue to be with us. And as those, O oh, Heavenly Father, who are conscientious about continuing the ministry here, that as they pray, we will also pray. We will pray for ourselves and for them, and they will pray for themselves and also for us. And as we pray together and work together, that we may come up with a ministry, O oh, Heavenly Father, that can continue to go out throughout the length and breadth of the land, that many may be able to see your covenant and to be able to walk in the principles that your covenant teach. So now we ask, oh, Father, that you would be with each one of us and do for us that which is needed. And if it be your will, that when we return back in January, oh, Heavenly Father, we can start doing your will again and to continue the ministry that we've started here. And we can give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for what you have done and what you will do. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Uh, before we go, um, if you haven't seen a lot of our podcasts, we have right now on YouTube, last I checked, I think this is going to be 81. We got 81 episodes. Uh, we also, as I said, we're on Odyssey now. So uh, that's another thing we be, I'm only trying to be doing this month is uploading a lot of our podcast that was here onto Odyssey. So 
if a person's like, ah, oh, well, I can't tune in on uh, Shabbat at 3 p.m., hey, watch the replay on several different platforms. We're on several different platforms when it comes to the podcast. We're on Odyssey now. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the major podcasts you can find us. If you have trouble finding us, Shoot us an email at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com or go to our website, psychove.com, and hit contact. You can email us and message us from there also. And I will send you links to the different platforms where you can find us to listen to any time of day, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365, any time of those days and everything. And as you know, we're about to take this month off, so we will not be back next week, but we will be back January the 6th again. I don't want to say it's the new year. It's the Gregorian new year, but we know our new year starts in the spring when everything starts to bloom, but we'll be back on January the 6th. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before Yahuwah to walk after Yahuwah and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant, which are written in this book, second Chronicles 34, one 31. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at science of the covenant at gmail.com until January oh, boy. the 6th. Boys, mm-hmm. let me just give the ironic blessing before we go. Okay. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May he lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace until we meet again. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Until January the 6th, Shalom.